Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where I feel the need to clarify that no, I am not on the short list to fill Justice Kennedy's seat on the Supreme Court. I know many of you are confused. For the sagacity that I share every single week on this show, you would assume that I would be a perfect fit for the Supreme Court, but no, alas, I am not on a short, long, or any list for that matter. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nahum's live lunch. Who do I see behind the board? Somehow or another, the gentleman who can't get my bumper on. Good morning, Yoni. Yeah, a lot of different things wanted to Why? play other than Why? the bumper. Why? Why? Sometimes computer has a mind of its own. Yes, that I agree. That I agree. So um, we're going to have to punch the computer? Uh, let's go with that. Okay. Yeah. Better than we'll punishing get, me. Right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Certainly safer to punish the computer. Um, though I don't think the computer's going to feel it, frankly. <laughs> oh, too bad. I don't think the computer's going to care, like my kids. Um, yeah, but all is good here. How is, um, how is Houston baseball doing? Thank God. Yeah? Yeah, doing well. Yep. You know, I... Up there with the Yankees. It's a fun... It's a long season, though, so just, you know, back long and forth. Long ball. Long ball game. Sure. Yeah. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Same. Right. I have no it. idea. It, it sounds right. I have no idea, but I know that if I say something like sports related to you, you know, it's a good day and we're just going to keep going with it and whatever. By the way, you must be really the only person in my life, frankly, looking forward to next week's weather here in New oh, York. Oh, my Lord. 97 right now is supposed to be the high on a fast day. Oh, my gosh. I'm already aggravated. I don't think I'm excited for that. You're, okay, so there's a limit to the yeah, happiness nine, that you feel with extreme heat. 97 might be much. So but you're, 97 here is going to be like, feels like maybe like whatever, 100 or something. No, uh, more than back that. back home is like, feels like 110. Ugh. And it's like wet. This is a little better, but. Well, first of all, I'm it's just disgusting not, today. Right. Because anytime you're in transit, it, it it's Ugh. so much worse. And this, right. I mean, there's nothing the subways could do. It just, it's, it's misery. Right. It's pouring and it's humid yeah. and it's, oh, oh, combo. it's oppressive. It's oppressive. Today, by the way, would have been an official baseball cap versus, um, you know, it, it, you know, as part of my get-up day, right? As part of my uh, my wardrobe, but I couldn't go that route, so instead I had to wear a base. I had to wear a raincoat on top of everything, so that added layer mm. of like, ugh. The and whole it's like thing, it's sticky, the, and everyone's on top of each other. The subways are packed. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's not a good thing. It's not a good. No thing. No one's happy. No, nobody is happy. I certainly am not happy, and I'm happy to share that unhappiness, frankly, <laughs> with everyone. Let's do the national holidays. Uh, today is a bit of a weird day, not just because of um, what we've already mentioned about the weather, but it's um, International Body Piercing Day. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I don't. I mean, That's, we're not participating. No, no, okay. we're not. I pierced my ears when I was in third grade. I'm really done there. Yeah, I mean, and it's you, notice, you yeah. just. Stay out of it Clean, completely. Man. Yeah, let's keep that going. Um, it's also National Handshake Day, which, by the way, is that could not be cool. right. But we've talked about this because there are two national handshaking days that are different, and they have different sponsors. So this is the second one. It's also National Bomb Pop Day. Do you know what a bomb pop is? I don't. Oh my gosh! Because you never had a good humor truck when you were a kid. It's a you know, good those, humor thing. It's a, those ices that are red, white, and blue stacked that look like... Oh, I thought they're called something else. No? Um, what, they call something else there in Houston? Well, it's, like, it's a good humor product? I mean, you know, when you hear the truck coming around. Like scribblers or... Mm. Scribblers? No, What's I a scribbler? I just feel like you... Pop Rockets, maybe, something like that? Oh, Pop Rockets. Pop Rocks or something else. Oh, my God. All right, look up what Bomb Pops are. You'll see yeah, what I'm exactly. talking about. By the way, it has nothing to do with anything that causes harm. It's just... It's an ISIS. Bomb. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I you see mean, them? The red, yeah. white, and blue stripe things. 
So I'm just trying to see the brand. Oh, they're actually called Bomb Pops. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, yeah. What, I'm lying to you today? No, no, no. I just can't think of the brand, though. Yeah, I've seen them. Did you I have wasn't a big fan of them. Well, no, but they're fun, and they have lasting power because it takes, like, it's a solid ices. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I don't like it. That's why you don't solid. like it? Yeah. Oh. But and you're not an ice. Was, uh, okay. No, I like icicles. Ices. Icicles are different. You don't need icicles. Whatever, all the same. Right, you don't need icicles. Um, did you have a good humor truck when you were a kid? No. What is that? Like, a, just an ice cream truck for good humor specific? Um, I'm, I'm either 100 right now. Or just crying on the inside. No, I just see this whole thing going around with the uh, ice cream truck and the Huff K and the OU or something. You, you see that going around the internet? No. Eh, for maybe All for right, the live pick lunch. It up for lunch. Yeah. Pick it up for the live lunch. Um, it's also National Tau Day. And I just want to explain what this is. T-A-U Day. So the reason I'm fascinated by it is because... <laughs> right, because we have friends whose last name is Tau. And I thought it was hysterical. So I emailed my friend Sandy Tau. Um, who's also an excellent neighbor, to tell her that it's National Tau Day, which totally cracked her up, and she announced it in the store, which she and her husband own, and told everyone it was National Tau Day. Tau, it seems, is a replacement for pie. So instead of 3.14... Oh, that pie. Correct, okay. <laughs> right. This uh, mathematician decided, or figured out, I guess, not a decision, he released the Tau Manifesto, which is a detailed document showing why the constant of pi is wrong and why the constant of Tau should be used instead. And Tau is 6.28, double the pi 3.14. So that's why it is today, June 28th. Okay. And to celebrate, yeah. and to celebrate Tau Day, you know what people do? What do people do on Pi Day? They eat pie. That's right. So you know what you do. On t- That's right. You <laughs> eat double right, right, the right, amount I mean. of pie. Let's do it. I'm like, all right. So for those of you who are listening to this going, why is she going through this? This really is not her thing. Why is she going through this? Because frankly, anybody who tells me to eat two you know, portions of pie as opposed to one portion of pie, it is worth celebrating. Uh, let's do the fortune cooking, and then I'm going to get to my guest who is um, on the line. So I want to get moving here. Ah, here is my fortune. You ready? Toil away, endure a while, believe always, and never turn back. Well, that's pretty poignant, especially yeah. at the end of season six and uh, a wonderful season it has been. Season seven, please God, starting in September and truly the best is yet to come. I'm sure um, speaking to an author, uh, you can probably imagine that this fortune also applies to her. turning, Never turning back, continuing to toil ahead. Sharon Hart Green joins us from Canada. She is on the phone. I'm pretty sure from Toronto. She's a Canadian novelist and literary scholar holding a PhD in Judaic studies from Brandeis University. Her debut novel, Come Back for, Come Back for Me, is a gripping story of trauma, loss, and the redemptive power of love set in the aftermath of World War II. It was published in June 2017 by the New Jewish Press. It was recently chosen as the Editor's Choice book by the Historical Novel Society. Hart Green has served as an Associate Professor of Hebrew and Yiddish Literature at the University of Toronto. Well, there you go, Toronto for many years, and is the author of two previously published scholarly works. Her first book, Not a Simple Story, is a study of the work of Hebrew novelist Shai Agnon, and her second book, Bridging the Divide, released by Syracuse University Press, is a compilation of her translations of the Hebrew poems of Chava Pinchas Kohn. In addition, Hart Green's short stories, poems, translations, and reviews have appeared in numerous publications, including the Jewish Review of Books and the Jewish Quarterly. She is a popular speaker who has recently been invited to speak in Jerusalem, Boston, New York, Vancouver, and Toronto. And she joins us on the phone today. Sharon, good morning. 
Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I am holding the book in my hand. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I found it tremendously, t- tremendously moving. I'm, I'm, all, not, I, my pleasure. You, you certainly deserve the accolades. I'm not always, um, shall we say, excited to read someone's first. You know, you get a you get a first release novel and, you know, or somebody's first novel and you're wondering, you know, where are they going to find their footing, etc. But this first novel to me is a complete aberration from from those norms because it is written with such skill and such and 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 with such heart um that it seem and eloquence frankly that it seems to me that you are coming in almost like at, you know, 10 steps ahead of the person who is, or the author who is releasing their first novel. <laughs> well, I, I'm very gratified to hear that. Uh, that's, that's something every debut author hopes to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. Let's talk about the book itself. It is, um, sure. it is an interesting decision to make for your debut novel to be about the Holocaust. Tell me why you went that route. Well, I don't consider it exactly a Holocaust novel. I, I tend to call it a post-Holocaust novel because the majority of the story takes place after the war. I think what I was trying to do is capture the emotional after effects of the war on two different types of survivors and two generations of survivors, one um, who underwent, the you know, who had undergone uh all of the experiences of the war itself, and then the other story, which is uh, told in a kind of back-and-forth way, is the story of a, a young girl who is the child of Holocaust survivors. So I'm trying to capture two different generations who experience the after-effects. And, and their stories converge... Um, towards the end, though obviously at the beginning, we as the as the reader are are sort of led to believe through nuances and and just by um, you know their their placement within the same novel that there is going to be some kind of convergence, so to speak, of the yes. of the two storylines. Yes, and I I did that intentionally. I wanted to somehow parallel the two types of characters. They are both young, and uh, the, the story starts off with two young people, one living in the late 60s and one in the late 40s, who have extremely different lives. One has just survived the war. The other one lives in Canada in relative tranquility. And I wanted to contrast their lives, but yet at the same time, their experiences are linked by some kind of generational trauma. And I wanted to um, trace how each one tries to overcome it, to come to terms with it, and also to come to terms with what it means to be a Jew in the modern world. Mm. And in the in the in the existence of Israel world, which um, makes plays a tremendous role as, yes. in my opinion, almost as a silent character in your novel. Yes, it's interesting that you say that, because you're not the first one to say it, um, that Israel almost plays a, um, a, it plays such a a huge part in this story, even though many people characterize it as a Holocaust novel. I would say it's a more Israel-centered novel Mm. 
than anything because most of the action of the two stories ends up culminating in Israel, and that's where the characters all come together and find answers to a lot of their problems. Uh, I I agree, and to me, the fact that it was almost like and 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 bear with me for a second, it was almost like Israel Israel was a fairy godmother, um, <laughs> somebody you know a, a character that was in the background, almost making sure that that everything was set in a way that could allow these characters and these people in their stories to develop the way it did. I mean, the confluence of events in Israel with the establishment of the state and the Haganah and 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 characters getting involved in in defending the country and also finding themselves both the both stories and all these characters almost finding themselves through yes. Israel to me makes it seem like there's someone in the background pulling those strings waving a magic wand making these magic happen. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you say that because um, there there is a little bit of that in there, even though it is um, certainly not a theological novel. Although it it I think reflects the way a lot of people feel about Israel right. that it has this presence in their lives that they can't really explain in a rational way, mm. and I think I try to capture that. Without being too obvious, I think that it, it's a it's a subtle part of the novel. Um, but I'm glad that you picked up on that. No, I I certainly did, and um, I certainly did, and and it it also resonates to me in that that is true of Israel today. People go to Israel. I mean, we you know we just saw this epic historic visit by um, you know Prince William. And yes. and and you can see that he is somehow or another feeling that magic of Tel Aviv and at the at the hotel and and feeling the magic of Israel, and I'm I don't I can't say I had a conversation with him about it, but I'm sure he like everyone else who visits there feels that there's this intangible essence, there's this intangible aura that makes you feel something there that again you can't put your finger on but you've you've developed that in each of the characters that aura that connection so well i think that's part of why why most people find the book um different than other jewish novels i mean it's it's hard to find a novel today written by a modern jewish writer who views Israel in this way. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, so much of modern literature is permeated with um, uh, an anti-Israel bias. Mm -hmm. So um, I think this makes my book quite different. No, it's agreed. It is certainly refreshing. That is 100% true. It is certainly refreshing. Come Back for Me is the name of the book. It is a novel by Sharon Hart Green. She joins us here on That's Life, live from Toronto. Let's talk for a second about the research that had to go into this. You have two divergent stories, different main characters who are going through different lives in different countries. Tell me how that was researched. Well, you know, I've been teaching uh, literature at the university for many years. I taught Yiddish literature and Hebrew literature. So I've been immersed in stories about pre-war Europe, post-war Europe, through studying and then, of course, teaching literature. So it didn't require as much research as you might think. I 
uh, you know, I did research to some extent, but uh, it's not as if I was coming to this subject with no knowledge. It's something that I, I had been thinking about for many years. Also, the Hungarian background of one of the main protagonists um, is, is familiar to me because I've known so many Hungarian Jews, although, truth to be told, I'm not of Hungarian origin myself, but I've known a lot of Hungarian Jews. There are a lot of Hungarians who have come to Toronto in the post-war period, and I've always been fascinated by them. So um, it's not something that I'm unfamiliar with. The other thing that I found very interesting is that um, at the beginning of the stories of, of both stories of both narratives before before we understand before we understand I don't know what's going on the line before we understand and we learn that you know that they will cross paths and they will come together it is obviously two very very different narratives regarding teenagers and um being able to not just because one is male and one is female but obviously because one is post world war 2 and just coming out of the holocaust and the other one is living as you said in this comfortable life in canada and so i wonder regarding that being able to develop those two voices from very differing backgrounds but still talking about and being able to speak to um, teen angst and commitment to family and the struggles that they're going with, how were you able to develop those characters? Well, it took a lot of self-reflection. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask me whether Susie Cohn, the young Canadian girl, is my own story. And it isn't my story. No, uh, we're not the same age. I, I didn't go through everything that she went through. Uh, at the same time, I have known a lot of young young women who are similar to her. And I've thought about um, the kinds of traumas that she experienced. So, uh, you know, it it's something that I think you reach into your imagination and, and your what you have experienced in order to create characters. It's a difficult um, process to really define. It's part of the imaginative or the imaginative or the creative process. Um, it, there wasn't absolute um, or uh, direct research involved in doing so. It's more, I guess you would say, the creative process in action. Right. No, I, I, I hear that completely. I'm just wondering... Um, because I am not the child of survivors and I wasn't part of the next generation coming out of the Holocaust that that I wonder if her reactions, you know, to her parents and her aunt and her uncle with and it is her uncle's passing that is really the catalyst for so much yeah. in the book. I wonder if her relationship, if, if, if she is reflective of that generation, is she typical of the teenager of, of Holocaust survivor parents? I think she is, and I have known a lot of children of survivors. I'm not myself one either, but I have known. In fact, my best friend growing up was a child of Holocaust survivors, so I'm quite familiar with the psychology, mm -hmm. and I think that the tendency is to feel burdened by the past, to feel that um, there are such heavy expectations on your shoulders mm -hmm. to... Um, to fulfill uh, expectations that the parents were not able to live. Uh, at the same time, there's that desire by that generation to escape mm -hmm. and to escape um, f 
from that burden of history and to deny their their identity to some extent. And I think that's what happens in this story. She is so aware of her past, but yet is trying to escape it at the same time. And there is that there is that struggle within the household and within the stories about the commitment to religion. Where are we now? What is what is that going to look like for us? Uh, You know, are we and that to me was also a very important discussion to take place in the book. Yes, there is quite a bit of religion in the book, even though both families are not um, observant right, Jews. Right, right. But they, they both have this innate tie to religion, even though it, it is um, expressed in ways that are not necessarily overt. Uh, Arthur Mandelkorn, of course, chafes at the idea of his son having a bar mitzvah that has no religious content. Um, and Susie Cohen is awakened to the fact that her parents celebrate Hanukkah with an unlit menorah. <laughs> so there are all these <laughs> there are all these expressions of dissatisfaction expressed through the novel that um, need to be resolved. No, a hundred percent. And I also think that just speaking to that, and I certainly would not give away the the end of the book, but just right. the the dead the the fact that this frankly obscure uh, Jewish tradition that is rarely, if ever, something that comes into you know comes it comes to fruition these days um yes. plays such an important role in the development and the convergence of the stories to me was like a oh i didn't see that coming kind of a thing like like you're yes, a lot of people said that yeah it was it was a really interesting move both you as a writer but also speaks to the fact that tradition is still so important even after the war even after the heartbreak even after the questions about identity tradition is so important If the tradition is still bubbling up from under the surface of the mm. of people's lives, and that's what happens in the story, it keeps emerging despite the attempts of some of the characters to repress it. Yeah, that's one thing about Judaism, right? <laughs> <laughs> You can't keep it down. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That menorah is going to be lit whether you like it or not. But that is part of that is part of what makes us continue. It is part of what makes us survive. Come back for me is the name of the novel. Sharon Hart Green is the author. Sharon, I thank you so much for the time. I'm really happy that we were able to connect. I know it took a little bit of time, but um, but I really appreciate your patience and and the novel is wonderful. And I wish you tremendous success. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to meet you and to be on the show. Thank you so much. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, by the way, the the novel is available on, on Amazon. It's available at barnesandnoble.com. Again, it's called Come Back For Me. All four words, Come Back For Me. It is a really, really beautifully written story. I highly recommend it. Uh, the afternoon continues with a full, full, full afternoon of programming here at the Nachum Siegel Network. The live lunch will start in just a few moments. Um, just a few moments hosted by Nahum Siegel. And then, of course, at one o'clock, 
we have Throwback Thursday with a jam in the AM from yesteryear. I'm not exactly sure what Avrami pulled for this year, for this year, for today, but I'm sure we will find out very soon. And then at 4 p.m., we have an encore of JM Rewind. And at 7 p.m., the Erev Shabbos show, hosted by Mark Zomik, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Don't miss that. And tomorrow morning, join Nachum for JM in the AM at 7.40 a.m. It is Malcolm Holine with a weekly update. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. We always do. By the way, you can also check out more information on my Facebook page, both about today's interview and about the first all-female IDF battalion, tank battalion. That actually is a story that came out in the J-Post that, I po- that uh, came out this morning. I was happy to share that. God should should watch over them and all of our soldiers. That is for sure. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for unbelievable support here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We are wrapping up our JM and the AM Marathon. You can certainly give to fjbunity.org. If you have not returned your... If you have not returned your remittance envelope, that is certainly fine. You can make a donation at fjbunity.org. We thank you very much for helping keep us strong. We're going to end today with Ohad's new release, Levado. He is wrapping up the uh, recording of that album. I've heard a lot about it. I'm looking forward to it. And if it's anything like Levado, it is certainly going to be a hit. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
Fato! 